All right. Got me a pulpit. I don't know what to do in here. Now I can't bolt it down, then I can't get wild. All right, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 5 today. We're going to see if we can do 14 verses. Hope everybody packed a lunch. I'm just kidding. Well, kind of. Now we'll see how far we get. Got some young up-and-coming proclaimers of God's Word in the next few weeks. Going to throw down on some verses, too, so I'm excited about that. You know what I'm excited about? I'm excited about the hunger and thirst for God and His Word. I'm really, really excited about that. I'm excited to see people who are in leadership positions and who are in leadership here at the well raising up people who would fulfill their spot. You know why? Because that really puts on display, if you ask me, humility and a bigger picture mentality, a picture of the gospel that is uncommon, I think, even among a lot of churches. Because we're so prideful a lot of the times, we're so greedy a lot of the times that we got to have all the power for ourselves. And, and what happens then is, is that since we don't raise up leaders to come behind us and, and do even better work than we do, it kind of dies with us, which is a very selfish thing. Amen? Amen? So you really need humble leaders and humble leadership to train up men and train up women to fill that spot behind them. Or, and, and two, you know, God is transitioning a lot of people from one ministry to another, uh, and we need somebody for those spots. So I'm really excited of how I see selflessness in those ways and, and people raising up leaders to come in and, and really take over what they're doing. And uh, it's just a picture of the gospel to me. I'm excited about that. Uh, I say that because we're trying to do so much here at the church, and to be quite honest with you, I've not always done well with uh, raising up leaders and, and empowering leaders. I've tried. I try to delegate responsibility. I try to delegate um, power, so to speak, or um, position, authority, I try to delegate authority. We've always been a plurality of elders here at the well, but you know, in word is one thing, in deed is, is another, and so uh, we've tried to do that, but I can really see it. And I think it's a blessing from God thing too. And I don't really have time to walk through a lot of those scriptures, but I think as we are faithful, faithful with a little that the Lord gives us more that we can be faithful with, with more. And so, uh, I think that he's, he is leading, uh, those of you who are coming to the well, who are gifted in leadership, who are willing to learn and willing to be trained and, and, and pursuing the things of God and, and, and rising up to meet, uh, those calls and to meet those commissions, uh, that, 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 that God is bringing more of that here because, uh, he's seeing that we are trying to pursue his will and to pursue evangelism, to pursue discipleship, which is, it's a hard job. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a hard job because everybody has a drum that they beat and you've got to be careful. That's why we need to empower lots of people with lots of different drums as long as they're biblical drums. Because I might be focused on one area and I might do good in that one area, but I'm not so good in this area over here. I'll give you an example. I, my, my wheelhouse, my Forte, I always thought was teaching, but I'm an okay teacher, but my wheelhouse is really more evangelism slash teaching and, and, and getting out of the community. So, and leadership, like I really push men. I try to push men. Sometimes I push them too far and, you know, I push them over, but they usually get back up. But 
I, I have a really hard time. So that's something I'm better at. I'm more gifted in that area, but I really have a really hard time with compassion ministry and pastor, pastoral mis, uh, ministry. And so Hambone's really good at those things. Mark's really good at those things. Dustin Drake, all these guys, they're, they're good at those things. So we need to bring those guys along so that we can be a more complete ministry, so we can be a more complete body. Ephesians 4.11 says he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we really need to empower different types of people on different levels in order to see God's work done. And I'm excited to say that I've that, that right now it's happening more so than I've ever seen it happen before. Now all we need to do is for the people of God to respond to the leadership, to respond to uh, those who are trying to empower you, trying to embolden you, trying to uh, commission you and to be obedient to Christ ourselves and calling you to be obedient to Christ as well. So a lot of the times it's just saying, I'm not going to sit around tonight. I'm going to go over to Spruce Pine. I'm not going to sleep in late this morning. I'm going to go over to the flagpole. I'm going to get off work a little early, or I'm going to take my Wednesday afternoon that's free anyway, and I'm going to go over to the Opero. And there's a million other ways that you can get involved too. The question is just will you do it? Will you do it? I started last week uh, with Revelation chapter 5, and we went 1 through 6, and, and uh, we didn't do a lot of... Uh, historical work, con contextual work in those verses. So I'll give you a little bit of that today. We did a lot of practical work in seeing how that gospel works itself out in the community. I showed you several different ways and means that you can get into the community and make a difference. I also called you to uh, be the ministers in your own homes, to be uh, the gospel proclaimers in your own home. Because if you don't have it right at home, there's really there's really not much of an opportunity for you to get it right outside the house. That's why one of the uh, qualifications for elders is that that man must be able to manage his own household well. Otherwise, he doesn't have any business uh, managing the household of God. So if you want to get out and, and evangelize the community, first you have to evangelize your home. Okay, So we need to be in our homes proclaiming the gospel, showing the glories of God in every, in every way. So when we lay down, when we get up, when we walk in the way, you know the text. So we need to be proclaiming the gospels of Christ. Well, it, you know, I'm going to assume, you know how, what assuming is, but I'm going to move then, transition from this message of you need to be the pastors, men, you need to be the pastors of your house, uh, women, you need to be the helpmates, the, 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 the helpers of your husbands in doing what God has called you to do, to bring the house into submission, to uh, proclaim the glories of God in the household. And now we are stepping out and looking at the world, and the world needs Christ as well. And so here we are. Uh, we've seen the display of the glory of God in Revelation chapter 4 in the throne room of God, and we've seen God's glory, the glory of Christ, radiating out from the throne room of God. And it, and it radiates through the, uh, the four living creatures, the elders, we see myriads of angels, and we see, this, we see this picture of heaven, which is really the picture of what earth should be like. And we said that before, that we can take this as a model or an example of what uh, earth should be like. And this is what earth is moving towards in the new heaven and the new earth. So we're moving toward an eschatological or, a, or an end days judgment that will bring the world into subjection. It will judge the world in order to purge the world of all of the sin and, and all of the contaminants, all of the evil. It will purge all of that out so that what's left after the second coming of Christ, after the final judgment, all that's left is that which is good on honorable and holy, that which has been purified in the blood of the Lamb and made new by uh, Christ himself. Amen? So when, as we look at this thing, we don't look at it as something out there that we don't really, 
It's not really applicable to us. It's not really impinging on us. This is just some picture of the heaven out there. No, we say we look at the picture to understand what the reality will, is to be like. And we said Revelation is a, it's a picture book. It's a, it's a prophetic allusion to what uh, is real. So when we read these uh, stories, when we read these pictures of the throne room and John's like, it's like an, a rainbow with emerald is circling around. We get these images and we understand that they tell us about what it should be here. And we went through lots of that. Well, as we've looked at the throne room of God and we've seen this radiation of God's glory that's, that's radiating out and, and, and through this radiating that the elders fall down, they worship uh, in uh, chapter 4, verse 9, it says, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. So all of these heavenly beings, these, these uh, saints, these uh, creatures are giving homage and worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords and honoring him as the creator and sustainer of everything. And so that is key for us as we go into, uh, into Revelation chapter 5 to understand that he's already set this up as we go into Revelation chapter 5 saying that Jesus Christ is the creator and the foundation of everything that is, period. All creation, Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer, that's in there too, and the sustainer of everything that's been created. And what we're going to see in Revelation chapter 5 is how that glory comes in and is revealed and reveals or unveils the true mysteries of God in order to bring the rest of creation into subjection as well. And so we've said this over and over that we are called ambassadors in the Word of God. We're those who are believers. Now, let me talk to the family for just a minute. Those who are believers and been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've been called ambassadors of God, and you've been commissioned and sent out by God to proclaim the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that gospel is the power of the salvation for all who would believe. And as we proclaim this gospel, we see believers be born again, we see the elect be born again, come into this family of believers, turn, and then proclaim that same message. This is discipleship. And so many people are all about getting them in, but not many are, are called to disciple them and get them out. And so, but we see our commissioning to do this. Now, this is going to open up for us how that is to look and how that is to happen. When you see these scrolls start to be open, we're going to look at these scrolls. When you see these scrolls start to be open and unravel, what you're going to see is as they're open and unravel, you see two things. The judgment of those who will not bow the knee to Jesus Christ and the redemption of those who will. And so we've said over and over, see, lots of people think that the proclamation of the gospel is just to be love. It's just for, just for salvation. But we know that that's not true, not in the way that the world wants to proclaim the gospel and proclaim or define what love is. So they say, you shouldn't tell people about sin. You shouldn't tell people about these hard things because you're supposed to be loving. But to, to watch someone run toward a train that's moving 150 miles an hour and to not scream at them, you're about to die, is not loving whatsoever. And so we need to proclaim the gospel. Now, what we need to understand, too, is now this is just the word of God. As the gospel goes out, to some it is the aroma of life, and to others it is the stench of death. 
And God knows exactly who is his and exactly who's not. So when that word goes forth, it has a twofold purpose. It is to justify those who would be the elect of God, those who would believe and those who would be sanctified and purified and justified by the redeeming work of the Lamb when they receive that faith that is given by God that is not of themselves. It will redeem them, but also those who are hard-hearted and staunch and, and refuse to turn to God, refuse to turn to Christ, they will be justly condemned by the Word of God. Don't you understand that? So it is not as though the Word of God has returned void. If you proclaim the glories of God, if you proclaim the gospel of God and no one comes, you've still done your job. It is not us who does the changing. It is not us who does the redemption or transforming. We plant seeds. We might water, but it's God who gives the increase. And so I'm calling you to this, this place of just proclaiming and being obedient to God and leaving the results to God. Okay? Now, let's, let's stand to our feet as I read the text out of reverence for God's word. Kind of a long introduction. <clears throat> Then I saw, this is chapter 5, we'll just go ahead and start back in verse 1. Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seals. Seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and, a, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said... Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen. Well, that was all of chapter 5, and that's as much as I've read at one time, I think, in this whole series. But this really goes together as a unit, and I want to preach it as a unit. I wasn't really kidding as, uh, when I said that I'd like to make it through all 14 verses today. You and I both know that probably won't happen, but we're going we're gonna to see what God does. I'm just trying to follow the Holy Spirit. I want to move through uh, verses 1 through 6, not real quick, but fairly quick because we touched on a lot of it last week. But I want to show you a few things uh, that, I, that, I, that I found and that God has, has shown me through this that I think will be important to you as we uh, apply this to our lives and as we go out into the world and proclaim the glories of God. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? 
What I want you to notice here is just a few things. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The right hand was always the hand of authority in the Old Testament and in these days in the Roman culture. The right hand was the, the hand of authority. And if you've heard many sermons, you'll know what the left hand was used for a lot of the times. If you held out the right hand, then it was a sign of, of fellowship, of, of a submission or a, a sharing of authority, or I bring you into fellowship with me and I am and willing to uh, Associate with you. I'm willing to uh, partner with you to some degree. If you, that's the same kind of the same today. If 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 Hot walks up to me or Mickey walks up to me and we we grab right hands and we shake it, we say, "I am I am I am receiving fellowship from you. I am receiving some type of interaction with you at some place. I acknowledge that that you are in at least many ways equal to me, and I can hear your voice. I respect you. It's a sign of respect. Amen." Well, in those days, the left hand, if you come up to somebody and they held out their left hand to you, it was a sign of disrespect. And I'll just say this for that. Toilet paper was uh, in, in short supply, and so you always had a, a, a backup, a left-handed backup to do your business. So uh, a lot of the times, if you held out the stinky hand, you was like, yeah, grab this one. All right? But today, it's kind of the same thing. Most men, unless they're, unless they're left-handed, you go up, you're going to shake right hands, you give a firm handshake, and you say, how are you doing today? And it's a sign of fellowship. It's a sign of respect. Well, the right hand was a sign of authority or respect. And so this, this uh, scroll being in the right hand of God, in, in many ways, is kind of giving us the idea or it's showing us that this is an authoritative document that the one seated on the throne is giving. So this scroll, whatever we find out that it is or whatever we see that it is, is an authoritative document and not many have authority to open it. As a matter of fact, none do. None. They can't find anybody on heaven and in earth, and it causes this great wailing of the seer or the one who is seeing this vision, which is John. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. It has writing on both sides. Now, there's lots of discussion and, and investigation to what type, of, what type of document this was. Was it a scroll? In those days, we didn't have books really we didn't have these types of books really there was at this time starting to be developed what's called a codex and it was it was the the proceeder or the beginning of our book that we have today but but it was mainly scrolls and the codex was starting to be used by some early christians and so there's really questions on whether or not it was a scroll that you would unroll or a book that, or a codex that you would open but either way, what we know is, is that it's an authoritative document that was in the right hand of God Almighty who sat on the throne and didn't have anybody to open it. And it was written on front and on back, which is significant in several different ways, and we might touch on that in just a second. It says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. The sealing with the seven seals. If I start going too fast, I'll start talking real fast. Heather, if you'll just give me a shake and turn, shake your head, I'll slow down just a little bit. But i got a lot to get through, and we got to do it, okay? So the seven seals okay the seven seals so now what we know is that this is an authoritative document that was in the right hand of him who was on the throne who is god almighty who has all authority over all the earth right and it is in his right hand so this a document has authority too and somebody needs to go take it out of his hand open it up break the seals and give us the information that's in it but nobody's found to do that and so we know that it's written on the front and on the back which has significance and i'll show you in just a second but also that it's sealed with seven seals and what is the number seven for perfection 
fulfillment. It's fully sealed. It's perfectly sealed. It can't be opened except by the one who can perfectly open it, right? So it's, it's authoritative. It's uh, full of this information. It's written on the front and on the back, and it's perfectly sealed so that no one can get to it. So this, this, uh, this scroll that is written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals, he says, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open a scroll and break its seals? So somebody needs to open it and break the seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Now, what I want you to see and understand is, is that someone needs to open the book, but no one is found to open the book. And because the book seemingly can't be opened, at least for a moment, even by John, who knew Jesus, okay? And I don't think it's lying when he says he was weeping. Even John, the apostle John, the beloved disciple who knew Jesus, he was like, oh, no. Oh, no. And this is my kind of just insight to the text or my speculation. I'm thinking John's like, in his mind at least, he's going, what about Jesus? Well, what about what about Jesus? And so, uh, you know, th this, this question of, of whether or not somebody can open this, nobody's found to open it. So he, he, I can just see him falling to his knees, and it says he wept loudly. He, he wept loudly. He's, he, he's really concerned. He's brokenhearted that, the, that this scroll will not be opened up, the seal's broken, and the revelation that is found inside given out to those who need it. Proclaim for all to hear it. And so he starts weeping loudly because no one was found to open the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. But an elder says, Wait, John, wait. Someone can open up that scroll. You know what this tells me? This is a little bit more speculation, just insights into the text. What this tells me is that while we're here on earth, we're still being sanctified, and we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to press into God for relationship, for guidance, and for sanctification in order to rightly understand the Word of God, in order to rightly understand who God is. You see, John at this moment is still on earth. He's still dealing with flesh to some degree, and he is looking into heaven. But it takes one of the elders who is already seated around the the throne to say, hold on, John, there's one. You see, here's what I'm saying in that little point right there is that you cannot expect to conquer the world by spiritual means if you live in the world and do not pursue the spirit. If you want to make, an if you want to make a heavenly impact on a physical world, you've got to spend more time in the heavenly realm than in the physical realm. Amen. Amen? You've got to spend time with God. You've got to spend time in the Word. You've got to spend time meditating. You've got to be in constant, continual prayer. You've got to ask the Lord for wisdom, and He'll give it to you. But many times, we just go about our business in the daily world, and we wonder why we can't make a difference. We wonder why our families are falling apart. We wonder why our children are running away from us, and yet we've not spent time with God Almighty. You see, even John, even John was like, oh, no, there's no one but one who was with God all the time in the heavenly realm said, wait, John, there is one. And then the picture is given of Christ, who is the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. So we have this conquering. There is one who is mighty, the king of kings. He can open the throne. He can open the scroll. He can break the seals. But it doesn't stop there, but it gives uh, an understanding of just how he does that. And it's not like anybody ever expected. It says, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll. Now, I think that this is twofold right here. 
One reason that he describes him firstly as a kingly authoritative type is to show two things. One, that he's kingly and authoritative. One, that he's a king. You know, he's a lion of the tribe of Judah. Powerful, right? But two is, is that he's the foundation of the Old Testament. You see, I believe that this is, and what I'll see, and we'll go back to this in a second, so I'll go ahead and give you a little hint, is that when this scroll, in my opinion, as I've read and I've studied and I've looked at the historical context and I've looked at all these different things, is that my opinion is that this scroll is the grand scheme of things. It's God's will over the old covenant and the new covenant and throughout redemptive history and throughout this eschatological judgment, this end days judgment, the end times. So it's a revealing of the mysteries of God that are all revealed in who? Christ Jesus. So you'll see this twofold thing here. So we got old covenant, new covenant. Jesus Christ is the center of both of them. And he was the, he was the, the, the substance to which the shadows pointed. Okay. Now, at, the reason I say that is here. It says, weep no more. Behold, old covenant wording, old covenant language, old Testament language. He says, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Then he says, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes with the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So we have this old covenant, this old Testament authoritative kingly uh, vision, this kingly uh, uh, declaration. And then we have the lamb who was slain with Old Testament uh, um, uh, allusions as well. So the lamb that was slain, no one, no one in this area, no one in this, in this period of history, no one in this era would have thought that, the, that God Almighty, that the Messiah would come in weakness, would come in, in pitifulness, would come in humility and be humiliated in front of the world to see the word of that day. No one have, would have ever expected that. They were looking for this old covenant, this Old Testament king who would come on the clouds and, and, and bring everything into subjection and put Israel back where it's supposed to be and take his place on a physical throne. But what John says is that, yes, it is the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Yes, it is the root of David. But you need to understand that his power is in his humility. His power is within his humility. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, if you'll go back to the first of the chapter where we started talking about it, it said, and a scroll that was, that was written within and on the back. I, I want to bring this out here because this old covenant, new covenant, this Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the mysteries of God uh, a type idea, I think it can be found here too in two different ways. One is, is that uh, many commentators think that, that, that John is playing off of what it was in that day, the Roman will, okay, the Roman will. The, the Romans had a system by which they would make a will, a last will and testament for someone who would have an inheritance after uh, their, their family died or their parent died or something like that. They would draw up a will, and that will would serve uh, as the last will and testament for that person when they passed on. Well, the way that they sealed this will and the way that they wrote this will was that they would write it out on the front in, in detail, in detail of just who got what or what would happen with the name or whatever. They wrote it out in detail on the front. Then they would turn it over and they would abbreviate that on the back for several different reasons. One, so that no one could change the original way that the will would be read because it would be two different ways that you would read it. On the front, turn it over and on the back, it would confirm one another. 
but the one would be abbreviated, and that would be the one on the outside so that you could get a little insight to what was on the inside so you can have an idea of it, but the full revelation wouldn't be given until the thing was, was unrolled. And this is a really cool fact, is that on the Roman wheel, there would, there would be placed seven seals. Seven seals on the Roman wheel too. But now that's not the only thing that done that. Uh, the, the, the Jews would also, when they did a will or a testament, they would also put seven uh, seals on theirs as well. They would also write an abbreviated thing on the back of it. So this type of system was used a couple of different ways, but it was always so that abbreviated, a shortened type of message or a shortened type of info would be on the outside, and then the details would be on the inside so that you could get a little insight to what this document was about, but you would have to break the seal. And only the one that had been designated to open the seal could break the seal when, when it was time for it to be broken. Really cool, really cool. So this is what John is playing off of. Is that, and, and this is what I believe this points to the Old Covenant. Now, if you want, you can turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. Just to show you, I need to move on this kind of quickly, but I just thought it was really cool. I wanted to share it with you. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Listen to this. <clears throat> let's, go, let's start in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, he's speaking to the Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to, the, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now that's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother day, but the big picture is, the big idea is that I want you to see is that these, these truths of Christ, and we can see it in, in Colossians chapter 2 as well, these truths in the Old Testament were hints and shadows and abbreviated, abbreviated info given to us about what Christ would do in full revelation, you see. So when we read the Old Testament, when we read the Old Covenant, when we read the things of, of Judah and David and, and Joseph and Goliath, and, and when we read all these things, we understand that these are insights that are supposed to point us to the fuller revelation that is found in Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the fuller revelation. And I believe the scroll in Revelation chapter 5 is this revelation of God's perfect will, that he was never doing a different work or separate works, but he was always doing one thing in Christ Jesus. And they were painting little pictures along the way, and it was just blooming into this glorious flower springing from the root of David. Jesus Christ is the Word of God made manifest to us. Jesus Christ is the means by which we know exactly who God is and exactly who we are. Jesus Christ, if not known, should bring great weeping and sadness from the people of God. We need to be asking God, who will go and proclaim the glories? Who can open the book and go and share with them the mysteries of God that have been hidden in times past? Who will go? Who will go? Will you go? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You see, this lamb is this picture. And, and, and God says in Philippians uh, 
through Paul. He says in several different places, but he says in Philippians that, that by his, his humility and emptying himself of the power of God, it says, though he existed in the form of God, he did not, he did not uh, uh, hold that equality with God was something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, even to the point of death. And it was through this death that he received a name above every name. You see, many of us, and we talked about this last week, so I won't spend a lot of time. Many of us want to come into the room and say, you listen to me. I king here. Me, man. But we need to understand that Christ said that is not how the true king comes. That is not how authority works. If you want to love someone, if if you want to lead someone, then you'll do it through servanthood, and you'll do it through being slain, just like he did. You see, the author of, of Revelation, John, was given insight to how authority truly works. The only one that had the authority to show you the mysteries of the world was the one that created it, sustained it, and unfolded it. You can't see it without him. You think you want to raise your children? You think you want to love your husband? You think you want to love your wife? You think you want to work in the workplace? You can't do it without the Word of God. You cannot do it without the Word of God because you can't do it without Christ, and the Word of God is Christ Jesus in written form. Jesus Christ is the Word of God made manifest, made flesh to dwell among us. If we want to do life in the right way, we must see Christ. And if we want to serve... now. Many uh, Jews in this time, and I say Jews because at this time this is a lot of who we're dealing with, and, 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 we, and we know that they held on to these old covenants, this Old Testament, and they were looking for a certain type of Savior, but they could not deal with Jesus Christ being slain. They could not deal with, with Christ coming as he came, so they were hard-hearted. They were hard-hearted, and they could If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it tells you the exact same thing, and some of them are still hardened. They still have the veil over their face. The, the, the mystery has still not been revealed. Why? Because they refuse to see Christ. You cannot know the truth until you know Christ. And that's why there is no other name given by which one can be saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care how, how close you are to Muhammad. I don't care how close you are to, 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 to the Hindu God or Buddha or, or Krishna or anybody else. They're all demons parading around as angels of light. Every one of them. And this idea of postmodernism, this idea of secular humanism, and all these types of ideas that say we all just need, they're all demonic. They're all demonic. There is no other name given by which one can be saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. There is no other. There is no other. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by him. And he came in humility, but his humility was his power. And Jesus Christ said, the first will be last and the last will be? The first will be last and the last will be? If you want to have power, you got to learn how to serve. If you want to have authority, you got to learn how to love. If you want to have influence, you got to learn how to get down on your knees and love those around you. Man, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. I think I always got to be right. 
I needed to hear that. But I want to show you something. When you really get off of your high horse and you get down on your knees and you love God and you love your wife and you love your kids and you love your neighbor, when you, when you start to be conformed to the image of the Son, when you start to be conformed to the image of Christ, if you start to be sanctified by the word of truth and his word is the truth, when you start to look like Christ, you'll start to be a servant. You'll start to be humble. You'll start to be down low and think low of yourself. But the world will be transformed by the power that you bring. You see, because humility being slain like a lamb, which is the believer's plight, it is. You go and read Romans chapter 8. Though he slayeth, though we be slain all day long, we still glorify. You see, your Jesus Christ never promised you anything but eternity and a cross. Health, wealth, and prosperity, don't know where they get it. Don't know where they get it. I'm telling you right now, if you really want to make a difference, the church is built on the back of the martyrs. You say, I don't want to go out there, I'll look like a fool. Be a fool for Christ and you'll get something done in this world. And it shows it right here. It says, and this lamb who was standing, the lamb as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into all the earth. The seven horns, we already, we went down this road before. I don't have to spend a ton of time. There was the horns on the altar. The horn in the Old Testament was the picture of what? Power. The horn was the picture of power, and the seven spirits was the seven spirits of God. The seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. You see, this, la this line of the tribe of Judah humbled himself to the place of a lamb who was slain, and his blood was spilled, which God raised up and showed that this is the way that I exalted and gave all power and all authority to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus Christ. And it was all done through the power of the Holy Spirit that rose him up out of the grave. Go back to Romans chapter 8. If you have received, if you have believed in Christ, you no longer walk in the flesh, but you walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, we don't set our mind on the things of the flesh, but the things of the Spirit. And on and on it goes about receiving the Spirit of God. And it talks about those who belong to Him have the Spirit of God. And you do not have to, to return to a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption. That's sons by which we cry, Abba, Father. And you have received the same Spirit that, that brought Jesus Christ out of the grave. And now we walk in authority we walk in boldness and we walk in humility and we can actually make a difference it says and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne and when he had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the four uh, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each holding a harp and a golden bowl of incense which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and nation, and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. So much here. So much here. Isaiah chapter 29 speaks of uh, the one who would come and give sight to the blind. Ezekiel 19.6 is here where it talks about uh, making Israel into a nation of, of priests and kings. And, and, and we see this all being fulfilled, unraveled, this mystery being unraveled right before our very eyes in the King of kings and the Lord of lords through Christ Jesus who ransomed people by his blood in order to fulfill all that had been promised and all that had been foreshadowed all the way up to this point. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment, the, the King of kings. He is the one that through his blood brings all into subjection to him. And he's building this kingdom out of every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. And he's doing it by his blood. We see in 
Uh, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, this promise that he would make Israel into a people of every, uh, uh, into a kingdom of priests. But we see this being fulfilled right here in every tribe and language and people and nation. And so we see this, let's go back now. We see this prophet of God who's given this vision. He's like, who will open it? Who will open uh, the scroll? Who will declare to us the mysteries of God? And another who is standing beside the Lord, who is standing beside the throne saying, let me show you there is another one that is of the tribe of the line, uh, the tribe of Judah, the line of the tribe of Judah, who is standing like a lamb slain, who draws all peoples together, who draws everyone together. How? Through his blood and through his sacrifice, we have received a new name. We have received a new name. We have been born into a new family. We've been made a new nation, a new kingdom. And our king is King Jesus. And we march in the name of King Jesus. Amen? Now, I want to, see, I want to show you something else here. When this mystery starts to be unfolded, right? When it starts to, to, starts to be revealed and it starts to be opened up. This is what happens. When the, when the Lamb of God, who is in humility, receiving power through the Spirit of God, verse 6, and he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So when, when those who are, okay, let's see. When we, okay, here it is. When we see Christ Jesus moving toward the throne of God, in order to open up the revelation of God so that all might see it, the people of God, the creative order who are in, who are in uh, alignment with God, fall down in worship and fall down in praise. Now, what happens after that? You see, when Jesus Christ is revealed to be the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world, the people of God rejoice, right? They rejoice, and it says they broke out in a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. This is all saying that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that we've waited for. Jesus Christ is bringing salvation to mankind. Jesus Christ is bringing the created order back into relationship with him. He's redeeming all things. Jesus Jesus Christ is the means of salvation. Jesus Christ is the means of redemption. Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain that will make it all okay. Amen? Now, two questions. Are you singing? Are you singing? Are you singing? And if you're not singing this new song, whoo, if, you're not, uh, if you're not just doing it out in public, you're like, whoo, Manny, was you singing a new song the other day in school? Manny came in bebopping with his hair wiggling. I bet you money. He's like, let me tell y'all something. I done been to prayer meeting this weekend. This is what Manny told me. Now, Manny, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong, okay? He said that he would, you correct me if I'm wrong, this is what I heard you say. He said he was in lunch. He was with his friends. Am I right? Told his friends, said, look, I love the Lord. I'm living for the Lord. Am I, am I, I'm living for the Lord. He said, this is what he told me. He said, y'all stand with me or you cannot. 
I'm living for the Lord. He said, he said, all his friends got up and left but one. Is that your one friend? So you got two now. Huh? I asked Manny, I said, I asked Manny, I said, how'd that make you feel? He said, I'm hot. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Now, you see, you see, that, that was Manny's new song. You see, when you're walking in this old world and you're just trudging along, see, the whole creation groans as it longs to see the revealing of the sons of God. You see, this whole world is waiting for you to step up. How are they going to know? You see, I told Robert Farmer, see, he was evangelizing the other day, right? And he didn't even have a plan. You know what happened? He went to the hospital. He was going to visit somebody. And they said, they said, he said, come, he said, I got something to share with you. And he just said, all over him. <laughs> he wasn't trying. He was excited. That was your new song, brother. And it didn't matter. Everybody in the room could have said, you dumb. He's like, oh, hallelujah, right? <laughs> it don't matter. It don't matter. It ain't got to be your song. It's my song. And I'm going to sing it. If you want to start singing with me, let's get in harmony together. This is Jesus Christ. Are you singing a new song? And if you ain't singing a new song, the Bible's pretty clear. You ain't seen the King of Kings. Got quiet just now. It got quiet all of a sudden. You see, when we start singing, when we start singing, I want you to watch. Now, here's where tonight, I'm going to get through this whole chapter. I want, you to, I want you to watch. Why. This, is, this is why I want to go tonight. This is why I want you to go tonight. Okay? This is why I want you to go tonight. When the elders who, in my opinion, represent those who are true believers in Jesus Christ, ambassadors of Christ, when the elders saw Christ moving toward the throne and taking that scroll, they fell down in worship, right? They fell down in worship and they had... And there's so much more there. I know I'm kind of skimming over. We could go into the, um, the, the harp. I mean, they started worshiping. You know, they're picking the harp. And, and, and they got golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They're, they're praying. They're praising. And they're lifting up. See, they're praying and praising and lifting up Jesus Christ. They break out a new song. But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. This is why I wanted to go tonight. That's why I want you to go. When this happens, when this happens, and they, they fall down and they start worshiping, right? And they picking their hearts. No picking. You, they were so excited, I bet they wasn't strumming. They got to picking them hearts, right? <laughs> or they were strumming the junk out of them, you know? I can't see them, I can't see them going. Maybe there was some. You know, there might have been some straight Baptists. Heather says, stop. <laughs> but I bet you there was some Pentecostals in there. Don't I? <laughs> I had to do it. I had to do it, right? <laughs> Ain't it fun to be in the house of the Lord? <laughs> oh, I can see it now. Heather's going to be over here doing like this. And I'm going to be strumming. She's going to be like, <laughs> she's going to cut that out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll give you a break. I'm just kidding. It's going to be fun no matter how you strum it. 
It's going to be good. Amen? So, but I want you to see what happens, because this is why we need to go tonight, right? Because so when the elders break out in worship, and they start strumming and picking their hearts, whatever they're doing, when when they're worshiping God, and the prayers are going up, right? Watch what happens. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders Uh, The voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So when the elders start worshiping, when the elders start, start, start lifting up prayers of the saints, when they start praising God, then it gets the angels to praising God and worshiping God. So the angels start, the angels start saying, yeah, woo, yeah, we've been waiting on this time. They've been praising right now. Watch what happens now. So first thing we got to do tonight is we got to lift up praise to the King of Kings. We got to start worshiping, right? We got to start praying, right? And that'll get the angels going. And the angels will start praising God too, right? And we'll start to have this heavenly host that's surrounding us, like, right, like Elijah. They will just be surrounded, just praising God, praising God. Then look what happens. And then I heard every creature. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped again some more. Woo! Yeah. So tonight, so tonight, let's go. Let's all go. And you see the the biblical precedent now, right? So tonight, let's go. We start worshiping God. We start praying to God. And then we'll see the angels start praising and worshiping God. And then all of a sudden, we're going to see all of them, wherever they are, in their hearts at least, will be drawing them. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You talk about some evangelism? Talk about some evangelism? That's evangelism. That's evangelism. You, you put on display. And if you can't be there tonight, wherever you are, in your life, every minute, every day, you sing a new song. You praise His holy name. You cry out, cry out with a loud voice, the glories of Jesus Christ. And you won't have to have a plan or a or a track or those things are fine whatever but you won't have to I'm telling you I'm telling you how to bypass the track system get straight up lively with Jesus Christ get down on your face and get into the presence of God and you will have it running out of you you won't know how to contain it you'll be just like the prophet who said it's like a fire stored up in my bones I'm worried of holding it in Sing your song. Sing it loud. As we all stand to our feet, I just want to ask you, are you singing today? Are you singing? Are you singing? Are you singing? I hope I see you tonight. I'm going to be goofy singing. That's what I'm going to be doing. We like to give a, a moment of invitation at the end of every service. If you've heard the Lord's voice today and maybe He's called you to repentance, Maybe you're just excited and you want to just, just, just love on him and declare his, his glory where you're standing. You can come up here. This is just some carpet and some, some, some wood and stuff like that. But for some reason, people like to come up here. 
I think it's a fellowship thing. I think it's a standing out thing that we gather with other believers. That's what I think it is. But you're welcome to come down front in a moment of response or hug somebody beside you. Just do business with God, whatever you do, whether it's here or there or wherever. Let's do business with God. I, we're, on, we're on track for something here, guys. We're going to have a time of invitation. Don't, don't run anywhere. We're, right after that, we're going to do uh, the Lord's Supper, and we're going to ask the Lord to bless it, and, and we're going to remember His broken body. And uh, isn't that good? Yeah. So don't, go, don't run off anywhere, but respond to the Lord however, however you see fit and however He's calling. I love you guys.